Okay, so we are continuing with our, our Bible overview series, this story of Emmanuel, the story of God with us. And today we're going to finish the Old Testament. We left Israel, God's people, split. So right back in the days of Solomon, you remember the kingdom was split. The ten northern tribes broke away in the north to the, and the two southern tribes with Jerusalem and the temple. They stayed you know, as, as what was known as Judah in the south. Israel, the northern kingdom, got wiped out by the Assyrians and Judah. Last time we kind of were doing the story, Judah, the, the southern kingdom, had been taken into exile by the Babylonians, by Nebuchadnezzar. So guys like Ezekiel and Daniel all taken off to Babylon. Um, last time we then looked at the, the major prophets. So last week, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and saw how amongst all the details, their basic pattern is to preach of the death and the resurrection of Israel. So they speak about the death, the, the threats that God was going to bring to Israel, which were primarily to take them off into exile. But they also, all the prophets, prophesied a, a hope, a return. Um, again, I'm not going to re- recap all of that because we looked at it last time, but um, Isaiah, for example, spoke about a new exodus. There'll be a second exodus. So whilst you're all off, you're all off in the east in exile, but one day there'll be a great exodus and God will lead you back through the desert to the promised land. Um, Ezekiel spoke about a new temple that will eventually flow with life to the whole world, life-giving waters to the whole world. Um, there's going to be a new David, a new covenant, a new land. All, all, these, all these kind of blessings will come again after your period of death. And we saw in Jeremiah that, um, this is going to be significant for today, we saw that Jeremiah predicted the exile would last 70 years. Okay, so 70 years and then you'll be, be resurrected. Um, Matt, Matt Shortman serving in Christ alone, that is great. Um, so, um, today we're going to think about the return and we're going to finish the Old Testament today. Um, I'm going to tell you now the New Testament we're going to cover in about a tenth of the time we did the Old Testament. But today we're going to finish the Old Testament. So, the return to Jerusalem. Isaiah had promised, amazingly, um, not just that Israel would return, but had predicted, prophesied the name of the king the emperor who would send them back. So I put Isaiah 44, 28 on your sheet. <coughs> Excuse me. This is God who says of Cyrus, so there's the name Cyrus, he is my shepherd. Cyrus is my shepherd. He shall fulfill all my purpose. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. So Isaiah, who lives from about 740 to 680 BC, he prophesies... And at this point, the, 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 the exile hasn't even started, let alone being anywhere finished. He prophesies the exile will happen, and he prophesies that one day this guy who's going to be called Cyrus, who's going to be a sort of um, a foreign emperor, will be the one to set you free again. And he's doing this a long time before Cyrus was even born, let alone reigned. That, by the way, is one of the reasons why... So classically, you'll read, you know... Um, in, in slightly more kind of liberal books or newspaper articles or even in churches, um, they'll say things like, well, Isaiah therefore must have been written after Cyrus, after Cyrus was alive because he couldn't possibly have known what would happen in the future. Um, so when you read, you know, modern scholarship agrees that actually Isaiah was written in the 300s BC or something like that. It's because modern scholarship is working on the assumption that nothing supernatural could happen. And therefore, obviously, it has to be after the events that it predicts. 
Um, it's not really, therefore, neutral scholarships. So you don't need to be scared by kind of modern scholarship because it's working on non-supernatural assumptions, which is to beg the question, obviously. Anyway, um, Cyrus did turn up, lo and behold. He was a, a Persian emperor, um, conquered most of what we would call the, the ancient Near East. He's the one who conquered the Babylonians, who had been the first big empire. They're the ones who conquered the Jews. And then Cyrus, the Persians, conquered the Babylonians. And come with me to Ezra 1, book of Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah are the last sort of storybooks of the Old Testament. So, after kind of Kings and all the rest of it, Chronicles, we'll get Ezra and Nehemiah. Really, Ezra and Nehemiah is, is one book. We call it, we split it into two, Ezra and Nehemiah, but it's probably just one long book. Um... Use the index, look at everyone panicking. It's a small book, Ezra and Nehemiah. If you've got to Job's or Psalms or any of the prophets, you've gone too far, go back. Ezra 1. And here's Cyrus. Ezra 1 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. That's the word of the Lord that says, after 70 years, you're going to go home again. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he's charged me to build a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So whoever is among you of all his people, any of you Jews who are stuck out here in, in what was Babylon and is now Persia, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord. The God of Israel, house of the Lord's the temple. He is the God who's in Jerusalem. And let each survivor, whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, goods and beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that's in Jerusalem. Um, here is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, not just of Cyrus being the one to set them free, although that's there, but also there'd be this new exodus, this new return. So there's obviously the sending out from you know, they were in captivity in Egypt. Now they're in, second time around, they're in captivity in, in Persia. That's one kind of parallel. But you see in verse 4, the same thing is going to happen as happened with Egypt and the Exodus. All the locals, the Egyptians, or this time the Persians, are going to give them gold and silver and stuff so that the house of the Lord can be built. For the Egyptian Exodus, it was so that the tabernacle could be built. Um, where do they get all the gold for building the kind of um, Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle and the altars and the incense and all the rest of it. They got it from the Egyptians, we're told. And so this time it comes from the Persians. Uh, and so in um, 539 BC, 539, 538 BC, they head back. Okay, they're allowed to go back. So a whole bunch of them, not all of them. So it looks like people like Mordecai, you remember from the book of Esther, it looks like people like him stayed behind. So it doesn't look like everybody went back. But a whole bunch of them went back to Jerusalem. Um, they begin to build. Obviously, we're not going to look at all the details in Ezra and Nehemiah. But in Ezra 3, if you flick over a couple of pages, they begin to lay the, the, the foundations of the temple. Uh, let's look at verse 10. Ezra 3, 10. And when the builders laid the foundations of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, the king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. All the people shouted with a great shout. 
when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So the foundation is laid. We're up and running again. Everyone's super happy. Sort of. Look how it goes on. Verse 12. But many of the priests and the Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who'd seen the first house, first temple. There's no Hebrew word for temple, by the way, a house. Everything's just a house. Um, They wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundations of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy. Um, Why are they weeping? Well, it's the ones who saw the first one. Basically, this is nothing by comparison. So the first one had been impressive. This one, it's just not what it was. And the significant thing is that um, at no point does the God's glory cloud come back. So remember when the tabernacle was built, the great cloud, fiery cloud filled the tabernacle and everyone had to sort of get out because it was so full of God's presence. Same thing happened when Solomon built the temple. They all had to get out because God's sort of glory fell on the temple and filled it. Never happens. And in fact, um, almost straight away, uh, chapter 4 of Ezra, verse 1, when the adversaries of Judah... And Benjamin heard the returned exiles were building a temple. Um, they basically object and they get the whole project stopped. So the whole project grinds to a halt. Foundations laid. If you've ever, done it, if you've ever had building work done at home, you'll know this. You know, the builders come in full of energy. They start and they've just got another job they're back on Tuesday and you never see them again. Um, that basically is what happened, except it's the Jews themselves not keeping going. So there's a big pause. And that's where the prophet Haggai comes in. This is what you're going to do around tables. You might need to do it in half tables because of the giant tables we've got today. Um, but have a look at Haggai. I'll give you about 15 minutes to find it and then five minutes for the discussion. Um, Haggai 1, 1 to 6. So have a read of it around tables and then just two pretty simple questions. And then we're going to dive in for the last bit of our time together to the very weird world of Daniel. Okay, let's um, let's come back together. <laughs> so, um, we'll, we'll do a bit of feedback. We've got a bit of time. A um, little bit of feedback for Daniel. Um, Again, the critique, I guess, is relatively obvious. They're sorting their own houses out, nice panelled houses. They've, you know, been down Ikea, but um, have abandoned the temple. Um, just, I think, because this is maybe quite a helpful example of how, if you're reading the Old Testament, you move to the New. Um, what kind of things, you know, you read that one morning, what are you meant to do with it? Okay, how do you apply it to us to, today? What would be some of the things you might take away from it? Okay. Okay, nice. Nice parallel. Okay, thank you. That's really really helpful, Jen. So, something about what what are you prioritising? Where's your eyes gazed first and foremost? Um, Ever have anything else? Are you along similar lines? What what if you try to get a little bit more specific? 
um, temple. Okay, so very very narrowly, they stopped building the temple. What do you do with that nowadays? Okay, it's not going to be. Um, I mean, just wait till we have a building project, and I totally kind of you know bring this one out. But uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's not going to be. At least very directly. I think you can use it somewhere, actually. But anyway, I'll just keep that one in the back pocket, so don't, you know. But anyway, it's not literally going to be, where's your 100 quid for the, you know, bricks and mortar, is it? As in, there's no physical temple. So what, how do you move from temple Old Testament to, to new? Is it kind of that, like, the temple is where God dwelt, but then the Uh, yeah, so what do you say? So what is the temple nowadays? Yeah, I mean, what... Yeah, we're definitely... No, no, that's good. Uh, like, I think you're doing the application with... Okay. There's a step in between. Okay. Or maybe I'm just being picky, but... I think our bodies, because that's where Holy Spirit, who's holy God, dwells in us, right? Okay, exactly that. One, te- one, one Corinthians, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit... Exactly that language. Um, so that, sorry, that's why I was being yeah, tight. Yeah. And so both individually, but also corporately, the church is called a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, and we'll, we'll probably do this in a couple of weeks' time. But where, where where do we see? Remember the glory cloud that filled the tabernacle, filled the temple. Where what's the only time left in the Bible? Now we've got to the end of the Old Testament. There's only one time that that um, phenomena appears again, which is at Pentecost. The pouring out of the spirit on the church, where the fire, the rushing um, wind noises, the tongues of fire, the rest of it, come down, not on a physical house, but on people, fills the, the church. Because the church is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So yeah, you might, you might read in Haggai about you're so obsessed with yourself and not building the, the temple, and think, okay, how much of my, my life is dedicated to me, my family, my home, my, I mean, maybe even literally my, my house, um, versus building the, the church. Um, not the physical building necessarily, but the people of God. So that, that would be your kind of, what might be going through your head in terms of moving from old to new. Okay, let's have a look. This will be the last thing we do in the Old Testament, and it's, it's one of the kind of weirdest, wonderfulest books in the Old Testament. I've never preached it because I'm too scared, but um, uh, it's one of those books, Daniel. One of the books where we all know the first half, Lion's Den, Fiery Furnace, and then all tail off steeply uh, in the second half, which is a series of, of, of very strange visions. Um, let, let's try and kind of keep within the story. So, where are we in the story? They've come back. Okay, they, they've, they've returned um, in Ezra to build the temple, and in Nehemiah they start work on the walls of the city. So they, they, they start work. If you read Ezra and Nehemiah, it all feels a little bit anticlimactic. Nehemiah, kind of, by the end of it, they're all marrying f- um, people who worship other gods again and not keeping the Sabbath. It's all a bit of like mm, a bit of a damp squib. But you, you ask the question at this stage in our story: Are those those great resurrection prophecies of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, where Israel, God's people, are going to come back to life again? It's going to be flourishing, God with them, temple rebuilt. Are they now done? Yeah, we've got a temple, we've got a physical temple. They do finish off building the temple. Are we there? Is that all Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel were speaking about? Um, let's have a look at Daniel. 
Um, even the stories, Isaiah Jeremiah, sorry, even the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah might make us think, wasn't much cop, was it, Isaiah? So we might already be thinking, doesn't seem great, but we can go a bit further. Um, Daniel, as I said, is a young man. He's taken into exile in, in Babylon. So the book begins in the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. So we've gone back in time a bit. We're before the return now. We're back in the days of the exile. Uh, we're not going to look at the famous stories because you know them all. Um, but a bit of context. Daniel 2. Um, Nebuchadnezzar has a strange dream. Uh, and it's of a statue. Uh, let me pick it up, verse 36. This is Daniel explaining the dream of the statue. Um, this was the dream, says Daniel. We'll tell the king its interpretation. Um... Oh, he doesn't explain the dream. So the dream, in the dream, let me say, in the dream, the king has dreamed of a statue. The head is gold. um, The body is bronze. The kind of thighs are, um, uh, and legs end up as, so gold, silver, then bronze, and at the bottom, the feet, and the bottom of the legs are are iron. This is the the interpretation. Um, You, O king, verse 37, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might of the glory, into whose hands he has given... Wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, make you rule over them all. You're the head of gold. You're the gold head of the statue. Verse 39, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. That's the silver chest. And yet a third kingdom of bronze shall rule over all the earth. And then there'll be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crosses it, shall break and crush all these. So the fourth kingdom in a row, is going to be really strong. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. Um, and then what happened in the vision? Um, it is a little stone rolled down and smashed into the statue, just a tiny pebble. And then it grew and grew and grew. So, verse 44, until it became a mountain, pebble to a mountain. Verse 44, that's what he's talking about here. In the days of those kings, so the last kingdom, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall that kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms, put them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold. What's he he talking about? Four kingdoms, and then a little stone rolls down, smashes the feet of the last one, and grows until it fills the whole earth, a kingdom that lasts forever. Um, four kingdoms. Babylon, first of all. He says that literally. You're the first one. Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians. They then get smashed up. Even in the book of um, Daniel, so it happens in Daniel's lifetime, they get taken over by the, the, the Persians and the Medes. They're the next big empire. Um, they then get taken over by... The Greeks, Alexander the Great, that great empire. And then the fourth empire is the Roman Empire, the iron one that crushes everybody. And in the days of the Roman Empire, this dream prophesies, a little stone will crush, will land and grow to a kingdom that exceeds all others, fills the whole earth. The kingdom of, well, of Christ. But at this stage, even at Daniel 2, you're realising, okay, well, perhaps... Um, all God's promises aren't going to be fulfilled until the, the, the days of this fourth empire. Do you see what I mean? So, so, so Daniel is prophesying, or weirdly he's, he's interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel is prophesying that although Jeremiah said it's going to take 70 years, 
actually, the really significant thing isn't going to happen until the Fourth Empire, which, which turns out to be the Romans. I mean, he doesn't know that yet. So, so even in the Old Testament, we get this feeling that things are going to be a lot longer than they might otherwise look like from Jeremiah. Um, flick over to Daniel 7, and we get the same thing again. Daniel 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, he's going to be the last Babylonian before the Persians take over, Daniel saw a dream this time, visions uh, of his head as he lay in his bed. Verse 2, Daniel declared, I saw on my night and behold, my vision by night, sorry, behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. So you've got a chaotic, it's like a creation scene, the waters and the winds blowing over the waters like Genesis 1. Oh, yuck. And four great beasts, so it's four beasts this time come out one from another the first lion and the second one there's different beasts um, presumably the same four empires okay so we get four beasts i'm not going to go through them for the sake of time but look what happens this time in the days of the fourth empire um verse nine these four empires as i looked thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat his clothing was white as snow like the hair of his head like pure wool his throne was fiery flames, its wheels burning fire. A stream of fire issued, it came out from him. Um, so he, this is God, the Ancient of Days. He comes, and, and in the days of this fourth empire, which remembers the Roman one, God is sat on his throne. The throne room is set up. It's like a coronation scene almost. The throne is being set up, like it will be in, in Westminster Abbey in eight days' time. Um, they set the whole thing up. And you think, oh, right, okay, there's going to be a big enthronement of God ceremony. But just look how it goes on. Um, verse 11 I looked <coughs> because of the sound of the great words and the horn was speaking I looked, the beast was killed its body destroyed given over to be burned with fire as for the rest of the beasts those other empires their dominion was taken away but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Statue, four empires, little tiny stone, Jesus rolls into them, smashes them up and his kingdom grows to be the biggest on earth, the mountain. This time four beasts and in the days of the last beast the son of man one like a son of man verse 13 comes on the cloud of heaven and he comes where does the son of man is jesus obviously where does he come on the clouds this is a coming of christ where is he coming to non-rhetorical <laughs> where's he coming to say again someone said it yeah so he's coming to God. So, in other words, he's not coming to earth. Uh, this is not his first coming, the incarnation. It's not his second coming when he returns to earth. This is his coming on the clouds to God. In other words, it's his ascension. Okay? Remember Acts 1, Jesus goes up on the clouds to heaven and is given all authority in heaven and earth. He reigns forever. And all nations shall serve him. Um, in the days of the Roman Empire well, lo and behold what happened, exactly this 
Um, it's also why uh, sometimes the language of Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven, which we instantly think must be talking about the second coming, isn't always talking about the second coming in the New Testament. Okay, we just instantly think it must be returned, must be coming down. But it's not, not always. Sometimes it's talking about this enthronement in heaven where Jesus, who's become man and now he's been given all earthly authority. He's already got heavenly authority, he's, he's got, but he's now been given authority as man. He's given that at his ascension after his resurrection. So again, Daniel knows that all those prophecies of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, although that 70 years was meant to be the end of exile, actually the really significant thing, this great king and multinational empire, doesn't seem to be happening for ages yet. And this is what confuses Daniel. This is what we're going to end with. This is, this is where it gets hard and a little bit wacky. And I'm not entirely sure I'm right. Um, so far, pretty, pretty confident. Okay? <laughs> this is where it gets really kind of, um, yeah, interesting. Uh, Daniel 9. Okay, Daniel's got all this in his head by now. So he knows, okay, four empires are going to come. And in the days of the last empire, the really big kingdom of God thing event is going to happen, even if he's not sure what it is. Daniel 9. In the first year of Dan, Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, remember him? Esther, there's Ahash, Ahasuerus, whatever his name was. Um, by descent of Mede, so we're now in the Persian Medo, Medo-Persian Empire, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of this reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel's sitting there and he goes, ah, he's read Jeremiah, 70 years is nearly up. It must be time for us to end our exile. It must be time for us to go home. Jeremiah prophesied it. And so he prays. It's interesting. He doesn't just sit there and go, well, it must happen. He says, Lord, you said this would happen, so make it happen. He always prays in line with God's word. And this is where it starts getting odd. Um, Gabriel appears. Doesn't always happen when you pray, but, you know, this time it does. Um, Gabriel turns up, uh, verse 2021, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin while I was speaking verse 21 in prayer the man Gabriel came to me in a swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice he made me understand come I've now come to give you insight and understanding O Daniel verse 24 consider this word of the Lord he says understand the vision 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal vision and profit, to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of this word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It shall be built again with squares and moats and on we go into more details. Now, um, or in fact, end of verse 26, an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. And the people of a prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. What on earth is going on there? Um, this has been endlessly debated. But trying to sort of stay big picture for the sake of doing it in five minutes. Um, Gabriel turns up and says, look, the 70 years is nearly up. But actually, you're going to have 77s of time until the real end of exile. The, the weeks, for, for reasons we can't go into the weeks basically mean years 70 times 7 so there's going to be if you want to do the math literally 490 years before well before what what's going to happen at the end of the 490 years verse 24 will be a summary 
someone's going to turn up and there's going to be an end of transgression, sin, atonement for iniquity, everlasting righteousness, the word of the Lord, vision and prophet sealed to you, a holy place. And then a bit later, the sanctuary is going to be destroyed. Um, the temple is going to be destroyed, uh, wherever it was, verse 26. Four hundred ninety years from the time. Remember, see where he says that it's going to kick in. Um, oh, what's the verse? Yeah, verse twenty-five. To understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, there's going to be seventy-seven, four hundred ninety years from the time that you're told to rebuild Jerusalem. The word that says go and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, what's Daniel meant to do with that? Endless fighting. But I think big picture, basically, you can get there. Really big picture, 490 years, then the anointed one, then Jesus. Now, you start digging into the mass a little bit. That that, um, letter from Cyrus we started with, you can go back and build the temple, that was actually in 539 BC, so the mass doesn't work. You do 490 years from that, you end up in the wrong time. Um, as you don't end up at the, the death of Jesus. But that's okay, because Cyrus's decree wasn't a decree to go and rebuild the city, it was a decree to go and rebuild the temple. And actually, when you look at, the, as you read through Ezra and Emma, you look at various kings come along, and there are a couple of different possibilities for um, options for the start of Daniel's prophecy. Because different kings also send letters saying, now you can go and rebuild the temple. Primarily, in Ezra 7, we won't look at it now, Artaxerxes, you, you can read a letter in Ezra 7, writes a letter which has more of a city focus, go and rebuild the city. And that is written in 458 BC. Now, I can't do the maths in my head quick enough, but um, 458, when you go forward 400, 490 years from 458 BC, which is when that letter was written, you end up at 33 AD, which is when most people think Jesus was, was crucified. That would fit very well with the cutting off of the anointed one with nothing, bringing in righteousness and all the stuff in verse 24. There's no year zero, by the way. So if you're, trying to do, if you're clever enough to do maths in your head, that's why it's missing by one, because there is no year zero. You go from 1 BC to 1 AD without a year zero. Another way people have solved it is um, Artaxerxes, his letter to, to Nehemiah. There's another third letter which happens in, in 445 BC. This is in Nehemiah 2. Um, sometimes people say, well, what you've got to realise is they didn't count years quite as sort of mathematically as we do. Um, so they did it as just 12 months of 30 days. So if you start from that letter and go 490 years, you again end up in, in 33 AD. I, I don't know. I mean, I, can't, I, I have no idea. But you, you see the point. It's pretty stunning, the, the big point. Wherever quite the start date is and different things work... Daniel is being told the real exile isn't over. It's not going to last 70 years, but 70 times 7. And only then will all those great prophecies of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel kick in. And lo and behold, 490 years, you end up uh, with Christ. And that's, really, that's the note to end on, really. Um, the last book of... the Remember last time I said the Jewish Old Testament is ordered differently. It's not um, the same books as us, but they put them in a different order. Interestingly, the last books of the Jewish Old Testament are Chronicles. And that's what I want to end on. Daniel's 
Daniel knows the exile is still not over, even though the people are back in, going to be back in the land and built a temple and all the rest of it. And the very last book, in, in the ordering, so not in time, but in ordering of the books, one and two chronicles, as we call it, it's it fascinating. It begins, one chronicles begins with a huge genealogy. It begins with Adam, so we go right back to the beginning. It takes us through the story of Abraham, Isaac, David, um, the king, the building of the temple and everything. But look how it ends. Look how Chronicles ends. So the last, this will be the last thing you read in your Old Testament if you're reading it in, in sort of traditional, and the order that Jesus would have read it, frankly. Two Chronicles, end of the Old Testament, two Chronicles, 36, 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so he made a proclamation through all his kingdom and put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He's charged me to build a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among him, all his people, may the Lord, his God, be with him. Let him go up. That's the end of the Old Testament. Chronicles begins with Adam and ends with... Does does that passage remind you of any other passage in the Bible? Does that passage remind you of any New Testament passage? Okay, what about the end of Matthew's Gospel? Um, The Great Commission. Remember Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go make disciples of all nations. Um, I'm with you to the end of the age. Look what Cyrus says, verse 29. I've got all the kingdoms of the earth. And I've been charged by God to send you out to build a house. He means the temple. Jesus, I've got all authority. Go build the church. Cyrus, I've got authority. Go build a temple. Your God will be with you. Jesus, I'm with you to the end of the age. It's an Old Testament great commission. Now, the reason I'm ending on this is that at this stage, at this stage, actually, um, Ezra and Nehemiah have happened. So if you read the Jewish Old Testament, Ezra and Nehemiah are put before Chronicles. But that doesn't make sense because they happen afterwards. But it's almost as if, so so the, the, the Jewish Old Testament ends with the temple not rebuilt, even though actually it was rebuilt. It ends with the kind of, you need to go and get everything you know, restored, even though in a sort of little way it has been restored. And it's almost as if, I just wonder, if sort of almost prophetically, the servant of God, yeah, that's happened, but it's not really happened. So the Jewish Old Testament ends on this hanging note of, everything needs to be restored. Uh, even though, by their own scriptures, there was an actual building there, and there was um, a city wall again, and that kind of thing. The Old Testament is left hanging. The second exodus hasn't really happened. And what happens, we turn over the page to, to Mark's Gospel, the beginning of the New Testament. Mark 1, one, the beginning of the good news about Jesus and Messiah, the Son of God, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet. And we're into the Exodus verses. I will send my messenger ahead of you to prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the paths for him. Here's the real end of Exodus. 400 whatever years later. The real exodus doesn't end until Jesus, the Son of God, comes on the scene. There we go. I've warned you, it was difficult and confusing. Uh, but Daniel, extraordinary book. 
at the end of the Old Testament and all, unsurprisingly, just hanging for resolution uh, in the new. I'm going to pray. I'm happy to talk, but we haven't got time for questions. <laughs> Father in heaven, um, we praise you for the, the wonder of your plans, uh, the twists and turns, the, the wisdom and, and the majesty of the story that you've woven. Uh, we pray you'd give us great confidence and faith that everything we, we read in your word is true. Uh, we look forward to the, um, the final exodus when you, you bring us um, home. And we pray that faith will be found into flame this morning. Bless all who are yours. Gather more, Lord Jesus, into the kingdom, we pray this morning, by the power of your spirit as your word is preached. Strengthen us with faith, hope, and love, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.